We are so far behind the times in recognizing the pivotal role that skeletal muscle plays. Skeletal muscle must be maintained through resistance training because it creates an adaptation. Could you do yoga and Pilates? You could, that will definitely stimulate skeletal muscle. But if you want to combat aging, I believe it is very important to graduate eventually from body weight to resistance bands to strength training, whether it is free weights or machines. Here's why. Because when we are training, I use the word training as opposed to just exercise. Training, you are also training for life. We live in a physical world. These actions can be built. The strength for these actions can be built in the gym, whether it is picking up barbell or kettlebell or something and lifting it overhead. These actions in the gym that we take not only stimulate tissue, it again, there is a mind-muscle connection that requires effort. Girl, you've got questions. Questions about your body and how to feel good in it, about your hormones and how to keep them in check. Questions about your sex life and your whole health. Can you imagine having a best girlfriend who was also a triple board certified OBGYN? A girlfriend doctor you could call and ask or tell her anything. Someone who could show you how to live any stage of life before, during, or after menopause in a big, bold, and beautiful way. Well, friends, I'm your girlfriend doctor. I believe you were meant to flourish and shine, to embrace life and awaken to all its possibilities. Let's get there together. Welcome to our show. Muscle is magic in menopause. I always say this and it is so true. Muscle is the key organ of longevity. It is the anti-inflammatory. It is insulin sensitizing. It helps us build strong, flexible bones. And it is important for our metabolism and quality of life as we age. The good thing is it's never too late to start building muscle. You're never too old. You're never too frail. There's always something we can do. And I think this is so powerful because as women, we often start, maybe we felt some aches and pains. So we start limiting our activities or, and it just gets worse from there. But this is where you can step in as the CEO of your own body, of your health, in charge of you to really build, to continue to build and continue to work on it. Can you continue to be better tomorrow than you are today? Today, I'm going to be speaking with a longtime friend, and this is Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. She is a board certified family medicine and fellowship trained physician in nutritional sciences and geriatrics. She's the author of the new book called Forever Strong, a new science-based strategy for aging well. Dr. Lyon completed a combined research and clinical fellowship in geriatrics and nutritional sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. She also completed her undergraduate training in nutritional sciences at the University of Illinois. She is a subject matter expert and educator in the practical application of protein types and levels for health, performance, aging, and disease prevention. I'm really happy to introduce her today because she's also a spectacular person, a mom, and a good friend. Welcome, Gabrielle. Glad to have you here on the Girlfriend Doctor show. I love it. Well, and we are girlfriends, so there you go. Girlfriend I know. Doctor, we're, we're, it's happening. 
I'm, I'm so excited to see what you're doing and I want to talk to you. I would love for you to share a little bit of backstory, but I want to tell my audience, like when I first met you in person, I remember is we were on stage, we were doing a panel. You were maybe nine months pregnant at that point, eight, nine months pregnant in a gorgeous red dress. And I was like, I loved your energy. I loved your vitality and just every, every, the way you, the way you approach and show up. So. Oh, thank you so much. I was very excited to meet you too, because the truth is, is you're a legend in this space. Very legendary. Mm, thank you. I would like to, you know, they say uh, nice women don't make history. Naughty women do. I'm going for scandalous. I'm going for scandalous. You're just going <laughs> to take it up a notch. Well, so tell us a little bit about your, but what brought you into this field and what keeps you motivated and, and really forever strong, pushing you forward in strength oh. in all areas of your life? Well, I have a, a bit of a unique background and my godmother is Liz Lipsky. And for those in the functional medicine space or have read the book, Digestive Wellness, I moved in with her when I was 17 and really the interplay between nutrition and health kicked off for me when I was 17. Fast forward to- Well, and she is amazing. Seriously, Digestive Wellness is a classic piece. And she's just an incredible person. So I did not know she was your godmother. I moved in with her. And for those of you who don't know, this was the, the group before the Mark Hyman group. I mean, she is older, has been around as functional medicine, probably even before they called it functional medicine, was a thing. And she wrote Digestive Wellness, which is a root cause kind of digestive book. And uh, she's a PhD in nutritional sciences. And that changed everything for me. So I did my undergraduate in nutritional sciences and then went to medical school, did two years of psychiatry, three years of family medicine. And then I did a postdoc at Washington University in nutritional sciences and geriatrics, which really looked also at the interface. My research was at the interface of obesity and brain function. And uh, it was there that I realized, I'll tell you a story. And I know that we have limited time, but I'm going to tell you a really quick story. During the day, I was at the hospital doing rounds and on the weekends at the nursing home, looking at individuals, making sure that they were healthy and safe at uh, long-term care facilities and individuals with pretty significant to severe dementia. And on the evenings and early mornings, I was doing obesity medicine research and one participant stole my heart. And Anna, you and I both know there's always that one. Oh yeah. yeah. That just, we go to bat for and changes everything for us. And we'll just call her Betty. She was a mom of three in her fifties, postmenopausal, had always struggled with the same 20 to 30 pounds. And I imaged her brain and her brain looked like the beginning of an Alzheimer's brain. And at that moment, I realized that all the information that was being handed out, like move more, eat less, yo-yo diet, lose weight, had not only destroyed her metabolism over time, affected her brain, but also destroyed her skeletal muscle. And I dove into their literature and I realized that the one thing that my sickest patients had in common or my most metabolically unhealthy patients had in common wasn't that they were overweight. It was that they were under-muscled, mm -hmm. that we've been trying to fix the wrong paradigm for decades, for the last 50 years. And this happened to Betty too. We had been and have been giving advice to fix skeletal muscle, which is a symptom or obesity, which is a symptom of unhealthy muscle. 
And this is where muscle-centric medicine, and I coined the term muscle-centric medicine, was born. I love that. And and so like getting started, so how did you work with Betty then? I mean, recognize, or how do you work with Betty's now in habilitating their musculoskeletal system? Well, at the time, Betty was uh, had very specific interventions that she was doing, and she wasn't a patient. Fast forward to my patients, that's all I do in clinical practice now. We believe that skeletal muscle is the organ of longevity and that it's truly the pinnacle of health. And by focusing on what you have to gain rather than what you have to lose, you can transform your health and wellness. There's two to three main levers that we pull, but I'll talk to you about the two levers and you can do the hormonal lever uh, on your own because I know that that is uh, something that obviously is completely in your wheelhouse. The first lever is something that 100% of people do and 100% of people eat. You cannot live or survive without eating. That is the lowest hanging fruit and it is the action that we have to get correct. So I focus deeply on nutrition. The other lever that we and have- protein focused nutrition to make sure we're getting enough protein. And you'll go into, we'll go into that more, but- Yes, I focus on a protein forward diet, which I put in the line protocol in the book, Forever Strong, which is arguably why I wrote this book for the lay person, because dietary protein for individuals is very complex. It is spoken about as if it is one generic macronutrient. However, it is not. It is 20 different individual nutrients, all of which that have diverse biological roles and do different things in the human body. Okay. Uh, so when you say 20 diverse biologic nutrients, you're talking the amino acids. What are you talking about? Talking about the amino acids. Protein, when we look at the back of a label, so let's say we pick up a protein shake and you look at the back of the label and it says protein as if it's one thing. Protein is not one thing. Protein is made up of 20 different amino acids, all which do different things in the body. And when you eat for muscle health, you will hit all of those needs. It's very simple. We prioritize dietary protein to protect skeletal muscle. And by consuming an appropriate amount of dietary protein for optimization, all the other individual amino acids fall into place. And I'll just give you a quick example. So let's say someone has issues with blood pressure. Arginine, which is one of the amino acids, is a precursor for nitric oxide. Some individuals, when they increase their dietary levels of protein, specifically arginine, you may see a lowering of blood pressure. Threonine is another amino acid that comes from we can eat it, and it is a precursor for mucin production in the lining, some 75% of a threonine is utilized for mucin production. Serotonin, everybody knows serotonin is a precursor, or tryptophan is a precursor for serotonin. Phenylalanine is a precursor for dopamine. And this can become a bit heady. So the goal is not to make it heady, but to understand the importance of these individual amino acids. While you don't have to have them memorized, the one amino acid that you have to understand that is critical for the health and wellness of your skeletal muscle is leucine. And leucine is one of the branch chain amino acids, and it is high in what we call high quality proteins. High quality proteins are quite simply just a biological number assigned to proteins of animal-based origin. For example, whey protein, eggs, dairy, beef, chicken, fish, etc. And low quality proteins, again, just based on the amino acid profile, 
are things like tempeh, wheat, soy, grains in general, quinoa, uh, those, those types of things. And again, it's because there's nine essential amino acids and we truly need to eat those amino acids to get this robust response for the health of skeletal muscle. Now, so which food is leucine most found in? Is it a higher level in a certain protein? A protein, protein is the highest food. amount of leucine. That is uh, what we would call the gold standard. And it's a great question because it's not the overall leucine that you get, but as you age and as women go through menopause, there are changes in skeletal muscle that happen because skeletal muscle is not just the mechanical aspect of our body, the architecture, but it is also a biochemical component and an organ system, meaning it's important for carbohydrates and fat oxidation, but it is also unbeknownst to many people, skeletal muscle is a nutrient sensing organ system. It's an endocrine organ and it senses the quality of the foods that we eat specifically the quality of protein. Mm -hmm. When you, just as a very basic takeaway for your listener, when they hit a minimum of 30 grams of dietary protein to 50 grams at that first meal, assuming that that comes from a high quality protein source, like whey protein or beef or chicken or dairy products, they will get a robust amount of leucine. And that triggers skeletal muscle to then it, there's this cascade of events that happen. And the biomarker that we look at is something called muscle protein synthesis. And it is believed that over time, muscle protein synthesis will play a role in the protection of skeletal muscle. The goal is not to get sarcopenia and to maintain metabolic health. And this is one way we design a nutrition strategy by understanding the physiological functions of skeletal muscle. So that first meal of the day is most important when you are coming out of an overnight fast. And that's where the majority of the data comes from is that first meal of the day. I love that. I love that the, you know, when you break fast, that it, the old, old thousand year old saying breakfast, like a king, lunch, like a nobleman, dinner, like a pauper. And so give us, uh, give us what, do, what do you like people to break fast with? What do you, what did you break fast with this morning? So this morning, people are going to laugh at me. Again, I am in the middle of a book launch. I have two very little kids. The first meal of the day was not ideal. Rushing around, I have a two and a four-year-old. Life is not perfect. I had a protein bar this morning. Not ideal. Normally, I would have a protein shake and some eggs. But as you know, uh, when your two-year-old and your four-year-old are fighting and both late for school, it's it's going to be impossible. Oh, totally. I, totally. Absolutely. I've, I've been guilty... <laughs> Many, many times. I'm got my my youngest now, Gabrielle is she is 15. So it is. I'm really working on making her uh, responsible for her um, her meals and her choices and everything else. But it it does it makes such a big difference. Plus the quality of meat that we use, and we've been using a regenerative farmer now, a holy cow beef here in Texas, and. And honestly, there's just a different energy in in that in that meat. But in general, with that, for example, if they're eating smoked salmon, some bacon, some poached eggs, and what would be? And I know you in your book, Forever Young, Forever Strong, strong. Forever Strong, great resource. You have so many recipes and meal plans. I do, I do. Again, a frittata is great. So I'll make frittatas for the week. 
and I'll put it together. A turkey frittata is one of my favorites, but any kind of frittata, again, a whey protein shake is amazing. Uh, Greek yogurt, you name it, depends on what kind of flexibility that you have. Uh, and oftentimes I'll have lunch for breakfast. It doesn't actually matter to me, right? This is just yeah. a construct as to what we're going to have for breakfast is all within our mind. Yeah. Yeah. And then focusing on that protein, that protein load to start your day off, to kickstart your muscle metabolism. Yeah. And that's where the literature is supported is that first meal of the day. And again, this is just one lever to pull because 100% of people are eating. Now you can't just eat a bunch of protein and assume your muscle is going to grow. You do have to do resistance training. I'd like to make a specific recommendation for the dietary protein that I typically recommend. And I typically recommend anywhere between 0.7 to one gram per pound ideal body weight. That is certainly supported in the aging literature. Yeah. You don't have to go that high. The minimum to prevent deficiencies is 0.37 grams per pound. That is again, the minimum to prevent deficiencies. Uh, I do not believe that that is adequate to keep up with protein turnover. The body turns over 250 plus grams of protein a day. You don't need to eat that, but you do need to acquire the amino acids to keep up with that process of protein breakdown. Can you and repeat your ideal recommendation again? The ideal recommendation is 0.7 to one gram per pound ideal body weight. Per pound, not per kilogram. No, no, not, not per kilogram. And typically we don't use kilograms in general in, in the US. I find it confusing. And the RDA is set at 0.8 grams per kilogram, which is equal to 0.37 grams mm -hmm. per pound. And that's the minimum to prevent deficiencies. Yeah. So if a woman was 115 pounds, her protein recommendation at a minimum would be 45 grams. That is much too low for protecting body composition, meaning staving off body fat and losing skeletal muscle. So the RDA, and we've seen that in some of the earlier studies and some of the studies that I worked on in my undergraduate, we saw that when a diet is isocaloric, meaning you look at two groups of diet and one has a, a food guide pyramid, 50 some percentages, carbohydrates, and a lower, a lower protein, maybe it's a 10% of energy is protein versus a more robust 30, you know, 20 to 30% gram, uh, 20 to 30% of calories from dietary protein, then you'll see, even though the calories are equal, that you will see a change in body composition. The higher protein group will maintain lean body mass. Lean body mass is included. Skeletal muscle also includes bone, includes organs, the, the maintenance of all lean tissue other than uh, fat. And yeah. that is very important. Okay. So doing a calculation for ideal body weight, say, for example, someone who's five, eight inches. I know someone that tall. <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, you're not going to know that ideal body weight is, I, I like individuals to think about the last time they felt great and yeah. where they felt great in their skin. There's no exact happy weight, like a happy weight. Yes. Where is the weight in which they felt the best? Hmm. And that becomes important because just like I couldn't tell you your ideal body weight, I also couldn't tell you your ideal muscle mass. It's all quite relative to the person. This is one reason I love the conversation because in medicine, it is typically not a conversation of I. Mm -hmm. The science conversation of medicine is more of a global recommendation, perspective, spoken in generalizations. You can take this book, Forever Strong, and you can create 
a individual plan for yourself, a conversation of I, translating medicine to the individual. Yeah. And I love that. And your book is full of tools and and plans, which is really amazing that you put all this together in this way. Now, uh, what is lever two? Lever two is resistance training, exercise, exercise. And for women, I'm assuming that the majority of your listeners are women. When you go, is that true? Yes. And it's called the girlfriend doctor. Mm -hmm. uh, so when you go to the gym, you will see a lot of the women on the cardiovascular equipment, whether it's a treadmill or the elliptical. And this is common because women are afraid of becoming bulky. Ladies, I will tell you, it is nearly impossible. If I could have anything, I would balance the weight room. You need to get in there and you need to move some weights. You will not become bulky. It will only be intimidating until you have the courage to step into the arena. There is no replacement for resistance training as you age. Here is why. There is something called sarcopenia, which is the loss of skeletal mass and function. In fact, it was only recognized in 2016. It was given an international classification of disease. So that's an ICD code in 2016. So we are so far behind the times in recognizing the pivotal role that skeletal muscle plays. Skeletal muscle must be maintained through resistance training because it creates an adaptation. And again, could you do yoga and Pilates? You could, that will definitely stimulate skeletal muscle. But if you want to combat aging, I believe personally, it is very important to graduate eventually from body weight to resistance bands to strength training, whether it is free weights or machines or kettlebells. Here's why. Because when we are training, I use the word training as opposed to just exercise. Training, you are also training for life. We live in a physical world. Dr. Anna loves horses. She has to be able to pick up her saddle, throw it over the horse's back, mount up on that saddle, be able to jump off, grab the reins, do all of these things. These actions can be built. The strength for these actions can be built in the gym. And whether that is picking up a kettlebell or two and carrying it, whether it is picking up barbell or kettlebell or something and lifting it overhead, you know, that is somewhat unsteady. These actions in the gym that we take not only stimulate tissue, it doesn't have to just be heavy. It again, there is a mind muscle connection that requires effort. It should be effortful. And I do believe that there is no replacement for some kind of resistance training because that tissue changes and skeletal muscle is the metabolic sink of the body. It is the place for, again, carbohydrates that you eat. It is the primary site for insulin resistance. Insulin resistance, insulin is a peptide hormone released from the pancreas that moves glucose out of the bloodstream into the cells. Insulin resistance is a precursor for diabetes, obesity, et cetera. There is a whole host of challenges, cardiovascular disease, elevated levels of triglycerides, all the things that you are trying to avoid, Alzheimer's disease, all the, the issues that you are trying to avoid don't exist out there. They exist within skeletal muscle first. So you must maintain the health and integrity of skeletal muscle. And what are the current measurements of health and integrity of our skeletal muscle? Like, how do you assess that? Wonderful question. I hate to break this to you. Everything is done with DEXA as the gold standard. DEXA mm -hmm. does not directly measure skeletal muscle mass. 
DEXA measures fat and bone. Uh, the rest is extrapolated. CT and MRI are better markers and really not obtainable for individuals uh, on a population level. There is something called a D3 creatine, which is a deuterated creatine that will be a pill that can tag skeletal muscle, and it's a urinary test. It is not available, but it is the first direct measure of skeletal muscle. And that, I believe, is where the future is going. So you heard it correctly. We have been basing lots of metrics on something that we are not measuring directly, which is skeletal so muscle. So things like the Tanita or the Staiku that's looking at body fat percentage and muscle, they're giving you these percentages. Are they accurate? In extrapolation. I mean, there's some percentage of error, depending on how low your body fat is. Again, if you there's a paper by William Evans that he'll show the difference between DEXA and uh, D3 creatine. Are they accurate? The way that I would think about those machines is it's a great place to start. And it's a great place to continue to track your progress. Is it directly measuring skeletal muscle mass? No. Oftentimes, if as we age, the incremental changes are very difficult to detect. It's not quite sensitive enough, but it's a great uh, piece of equipment for what we have right now. I think the other way to think about it is, are you getting stronger? Are you getting more capable? Do you know how many push-ups you can do? Do you know how many squats you can do? Are you improving? Are you walking faster? Are your physical performance metrics increasing? Tell me about your blood biomarkers. Are your triglycerides less than 100? Is your fasting insulin less than 10? Is it less than five? Is your fasting blood glucose within a reasonable range? These are questions that I would ask. And also, how do you feel? How do you feel? How do you look? Mm -hmm. These are questions How's your that I would energy? Do you feel at peace? Do you feel anxious? All of that comes into play. And you, you put some assess assessments in here into your book. So you can take these assessments. You can, you know, figure out your specific needs. Yes. And I think it's, it's very important to understand there's things like a waist to hip ratio or waist to height ratio, that that should be as low as possible, less than 0.5. And there for are. the waist to hip ratio, what is that? Because I haven't heard of the weight, uh, waist to height ratio, but the waist to hip, of course, also, but it makes sense to do both. Waist to height ratio is probably more accurate. A lot of the, the data is done on a waist to hip ratio. Again, the lower, the better. And you'll see data that shows the wider the waistline, the more chances an individual will have metabolic dysfunction, whether it's including lower brain volume, increased risk of Alzheimer's, et cetera. So in working with my audience who are before, during, and after menopause, but a lot of women after menopause, they feel more fragile. They feel like they've lost strength. Now they're worried about osteoporosis and fractures. What, what do you say to them? And can you give us, give us an example, a case story of one of your patients? Yeah, I have a great case study. I also have case studies in the book, by the way. And I also have a beginner and intermediate workout program I saw as, that. Well as videos. I would, could never be a fitness influencer. Also, uh, did about a hundred videos. And I will tell you, I had one patient, she was in her sixties. She really was training and doing a lot of fasting. And when an individual is in their sixties, fasting is really not good for muscle mass. She was eating a very high fat diet and a pretty low protein diet. What we did was we kept her training the same. She was doing resistance training. We took out a extra day of cardiovascular activity, her zone two training. And we added in weights. So we moved her to three to four days a week of weights, 10 sets per body group a week. 
10 sets per body group. Oh, so not like 10 sets of biceps. No, the whole week. So you could do four sets of biceps two days a week, and that would be eight. And then maybe you throw in another full body day. And again, there is a mind body connection here. I panicked for a second. No, no. Uh, <laughs> we moved her to three days to four days of resistance training. We stopped her fasting. We had her have between 40 and 50 grams of diet. And she was small. She's my size, 115 pounds, 120 pounds. Had her have move her first meal to a robust amount of protein and her last meal to another robust amount of protein. We had her do the first meal at 50, the second meal at 50. We had her add in carbohydrates post-training. She had another 40 grams, 40 to 50 grams of carbohydrates post-training at that uh, combined meal for muscle glycogen as well as protein synthesis. Her middle meal was a one-to-one -one ratio. It was a maybe 20 gram protein meal and 20 gram carbohydrates. And then her last meal was another 50 grams to 50 grams of protein, 40 grams of carbohydrates and fat as needed as tolerated, right? So fat, it just wasn't a super high fat diet. It was whatever came with her food. And she was able to put on muscle. She put about two pounds of muscle on. She lost body fat. Her triglycerides improved. Her insulin improved. All the markers that I had mentioned improved. And she got stronger. What she yep. was doing was a bunch of cardio, very light weights, and fasting most of the day, which I think- Put her in a catabolic state. Very catabolic. And, and I think that that's uh, somewhat of the message of the younger generation. But we have to eat and train for our decade. Yes. And what you do in your 20s is going to be different than what you do in your 30s and what you do uh, post-menopause, pre-menopause and post-menopause. I started thinking about it this way. Like, how do I want to be at a hundred? God gives me those years. I want to be right. dancing, vital, energetic, playing with my great grands. At that point, I have a granddaughter. So hopefully by the time I get to a hundred. So I think of it like training now for how I want my body to be at a hundred. Like in other words, I've got to be trained. Like I've got to be flexible. I have to be working on, you know, physical, whatever, working on any, any stiff areas, working on muscle and cardiovascular activities now to be vital at a hundred. I don't know. For me, this, that mindset has been helping. Yeah. I love that. I love it. I think it's, I love also that you put in your book, Gabrielle, that medications that can cause weight gain. I want to read through them because it is, sometimes people don't realize the steroids, antihistamines, SSRIs, migraine prevention meds, insulin, glipizide, uh, beta blockers and angiotensin receptor blockers, birth control pills, particularly Depo-Provera and antipsychotics, which also leads me to just touch on with you medications that can cause weight loss, fat loss, such as um, GLP-1s or semaglutide, these medication, what is your, what is your thoughts around this? What are you seeing with muscle and longevity around these meds? In clinical practice, I use both a GLP-1 agonist, which would be semaglutide or ozempic and trizepatide, which is a GLP GIP agonist, uh, which is also Mongerno. That's the other name for it. I think that they are phenomenal drugs. I also have not seen any literature that they directly affect skeletal muscle mass. I do believe that we should not shy away from them. The treatment has to match the severity of what the person is going through. You know, I trained in nutritional sciences. I've done it for seven years. I did a fellowship in uh, obesity medicine research. 
And what I will say is that it's a difficult place to be when someone mm -hmm. has tried everything and the, the needle is not moving and potentially they are, and I use this word very cautiously, a non-responder to exercise and diet. Mm -hmm. Again, uh, I've seen it, especially when it relates to exercise. Uh, maybe they have low-grade inflammation, a GLP. I, I prefer a trizepatide. The weight loss is greater and the side effects are more minimal. I think it, it can be very beneficial. And an individual does not have to be on it for a lifetime. I've seen it reduce binge eating. I've seen it reduce binge drinking. I've right. seen it have a whole host of very positive effects. There's some good data that it is cardiovascularly protective, which women who are going through menopause, heart disease is a problem later on in life. Uh, there are a lot of positives to these medication classes. Yeah. And I think, I think we're still, they've been around for really for five years now. And so looking and watching, there's some data behind it, but it's not without the lifestyle commitment, the lifestyle commitment and the changes that have to be made where there are some side effects with the right management, those can be avoided. Well, I've had individuals, you know, friends that are endocrinologists, they've been using these agents for uh, over a decade. And they have not seen some of these incidental black box warnings. I mean, they have been around uh, just not available for off-label use or weight loss for quite some time. I think that the easily Ozempic has been around for a decade. And I think that there is, I'm much less concerned about the safety profile of something like that. I think what you're saying is correct. My concern comes, how do we then leverage the lack of appetite to recreate a proper dietary habit for people. And that becomes really important. And I've outlined all of this in my book because I don't think it should be a challenge. I think it should become second nature. Mm -hmm. Eating should not be chaotic. It should be easy to do. They should know exactly what they need to execute. And then finally, the last piece I, I will mention is that people have to feel worthy. They have to feel worthy of change and worthy of the body that they desire whether they are going to use a medication for a short term, whether they are going to resistance train and eat a protein forward diet, they have to feel worthy of the body that they're going towards because what they do today is who they ultimately become. Mm, I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Dr. Gabriel Lyons, everyone, author of Forever Strong. Tell our audience where they can get the book and connect with you. Yeah, you can go to my website, drgabriellelyon.com. I have a robust podcast called The Dr. Gabrielle Lyon Show. We also have a clinic with a team of seven. They can find all that information on my website. I'm very active on YouTube and Instagram and Twitter, all the channels, you name it, you'll find me. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. Everyone, please check out Dr. Gabrielle Lyons. Check out her book. You can get it anywhere books are sold. And always for authors, it makes a huge difference when you go back and leave a review too. So definitely do that for her. Writing a book is a labor of love and she's birthed two of those. And this is after two children, a book is just feels like it is a labor of love for sure. So yeah. you guys appreciate your help and in, in, in sharing this information. There's so many valuable tools and pearls in Gabriel's book. So check that out. So a quick correction, the use of Ozempic's been out for over a decade. And like Dr. Gabrielle Lyons said, probably close to two decades. And there's a lot of good research and they're looking at these class of drugs 
the GLP-1 agonist and joint GIP that they are potential use for longevity. I am watching. The biggest thing is that when we, we store toxins in our fat, and so rapid release of fat does rapid release toxins. So being sure that you're supporting your detox pathways, you're working with clinicians that really know and understand this to improve our longevity and our quality of life and to use these as as crutches and bridges to get you living your best life in the healthiest way possible to do that toxic load toxic burden has to be addressed and continue to be observed you know managed over time and i think that we will just i'll keep you abreast of the information that comes out and continues to come out as we dig deeper and deeper into these cutting edge scientific tactics. And what I love about Dr. Lyons's book is that she really does put it in a very common sense way and strongly emphasizing the importance of that protein heavy meal, breaking fast with high quality amounts of protein. And it's hard to do. I know it has been a downfall for me not to get enough protein in my diet, especially during my moves and not having my kitchen and all that stuff. And when you're keto green for a while, your appetite is low. So you don't have the, the, you know, you can go for hours without eating and then you're fasting too long. So to reiterate in my philosophy, it is breaking fast after a 13 to 16 hour fast with a healthy keto green meal, high quality protein. And I like how she said, you know, target 30 to 40 grams of protein at that meal and focus on that piece with high quality healthy fats and your alkalinizers, your nutrients, your mineral rich foods in there as well. So I encourage you to let me know your thoughts on this. Let me know what you're doing. And as always, I love being your girlfriend doctor. I'm here for you. Thank you so much. Till next time.